dress. Third time the charm. Three is a magic number. Hello and welcome to Third Times a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 54, RoboCop 3, from 1993, and I'm your host, Robo Mike, and welcome. Today I'm joined by Larson once again as we talk about another Part 3 police movie in our crazy Police Part 3 trilogy. Last time he was on for Police Academy, and this time we have a movie that both of us are seeing for the very first time if you can believe it, RoboCop. Three. There's a lot to get to, but first I want to take a second and say that for the month of December, I'm over on my unofficial co-host's official podcast, High School Slumber Party, with Brian Rodriguez talking about Spider-Man in the lead-up to the new Spider-Man movie. I'm very thankful and excited to be able to go on and on about the Spider-Man franchise and Peter Parker's high school years with Brian over on his show, so please take the time to check out those episodes when you can. This has been such a pleasure, and while I like talking to Corey's, I love talking Spider-Man. Okay, so without any further ado, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's RoboCop? Detroit, the near future. Officer Alex J. Murphy and his partner, Ann Lewis, fight to rid the decaying city of the criminal element which infests it. After being mortally wounded in the line of duty... Officer Murphy is outfitted by OCP with bulletproof titanium robotic parts and with computer-enhanced motor and sensory capabilities. He has become the ultimate super cop, RoboCop. All right, we are back, and my guest has the right to remain silent, although I hope he does not. Back on the, I don't know what we're calling this, but police series <laughs> of part threes or something. Yeah. You were just recently here for Police Academy 3. He's back now for RoboCop 3 tonight, Christian Larson. Hello. As always, it's great to chat with you about movies. I don't know why we're doing like a police part three series, you know, I'm just trying to sort of lump movies together with certain guests and there just happens to be like a couple cop films that kind of, you know, are part of a series that that were beloved or have good films in them and maybe, you know, ended up in a place that could be better. Nevertheless, we're here to talk about RoboCop. I know you love RoboCop. I love RoboCop. Let's talk about some RoboCop. Yeah, well, you were talking about how the last movie we talked about was Police Academy 3, and now we're talking about RoboCop 3. Why we ended up talking about those two movies, and part of it is because both of those franchises were such big parts of my life growing up, and they're two very different franchises, you know? Like, one is a wacky comedy, and the other is a dark, satirical, extremely violent action series. But yeah, when I was a kid, me and my father had a very distant relationship, and the few times that we shared in a really nice way were when he would rent a bloody 80s action movie and let me watch it which my mother would never do. And so that's how I watched The Terminator and Total Recall and the RoboCop movies, which were my favorite out of all of the, what my dad called shoot 'em up bang bangs. Uh, and I think even back then I appreciated the kind of satirical twist that the RoboCop movies had. Kind of like uh, my other favorite movie was Total Recall. 
you know, it was Verhoeven, so Verhoeven had a lot of satirical stuff weaved into the gratuitous violence. <laughs> but yeah, Robocop, and because Robocop 3 was, you know, obviously Peter Weller wasn't Robocop, and it was kind of seen as the bastard child of the Robocop movies, I never wanted to watch it, because I didn't want my memory of the first two to be stained. And now, a good 30 years after it was released, I watched it for the first time, and I have a lot of complicated thoughts about it. I'm in the same kind of boat. Like, I haven't seen this. I've never seen it. It's been 30 years, like you yeah. said. It came out in 1993. But, you know, to take it back to, like, 1987, 1988, when this came out, I mean, I saw this, like, at a sleepover. We stayed up all night watching, like, crazy movies. And this was definitely the most violent movie I've ever seen in my life. Robocop 1 is X-rated sci-fi violence with, like, a five-minute sequence of a guy getting blown apart by people just laughing about it, okay? Like, <laughs> very impressionable kind of stuff, but, like, Robocop himself made such a big impression. Like, as children of the 80s, I feel like we were heavily marketed to become police officers for some reason. I loved Robocop 2, but, like, I think by 1993, you know, we were teenagers. There was more stuff. Like, we, were, we had much more access. We were above the PG-13 line now. Like, we just, we could get more things. Like, there were other avenues to explore. I think I got way deeper into horror at that point. However, growing up, you know, Robocop was everywhere. He was on Nintendo. He was in the arcades. He had cartoons. He has comics, a Marvel comic, like all this stuff. So like racking my brain, trying to figure out why I never saw part three. I just think I might have grown out of Robocop at one point. As crazy as, crazy as that kind of sounds. But he's always like stuck with me. I love Robocop 1 and 2 to death, especially that first one. Do I think this is a good movie? Well, it's not a good movie, but I like it. Let's just say that. How about that? Like, it's a bad film, but despite itself, like, it's, it's kind of not its fault in a lot of ways, which I want to get into. <laughs> exactly. You were talking about how maybe you grew out of Robocop movies by the early 90s. And you were saying it was kind of ubiquitous. There were cartoons and video games and action figures. One of the biggest flaws, and I, I think there's four or five really big flaws that kept this movie from being as good as it could have been or a true RoboCop sequel, is that it was marketed to kids. And part of that I was reading about was that after the success of the first two RoboCops, there were these video games and action figures, and kids were playing with action figures and stuff for an R-rated movie, a very violent R-rated movie. <laughs> like a really, really gratuitously violent R-rated movie. And the studios didn't want to feel responsible for marketing this stuff to kids. So the third one, the mandate was that it had to be PG-13, which they toned down a lot of stuff. Most of the gunshots or whatever are done off camera. Not a lot of blood. A lot of those movie explosions where the explosion happens behind them and they jump towards the camera. A lot of that. One of the other things, of course, was the budget. They were doing this on a very small budget, at least compared to the first two, and it shows. 
Yeah, it's interesting. The roots of RoboCop, to my understanding, they wanted to make a Judge Dredd film, but they couldn't obtain the rights, so they made a RoboCop instead, right? And it's basically Judge Dredd, mostly, you know, except for how he becomes RoboCop and everything, which might even be cooler. But to end up where they are now with a part three, you're right, it went through this distillery of all that media, all the offshoot you were talking about, and, and it just hit so much harder, I guess, they marketed, for some reason, children, you know, just got way more into this than adults did, and it just further and further into that direction. To the point that this does feel like an episode of a TV show or a cartoon or even an issue or an arc of a comic book or something. It just does not have the sort of spectacle and grandeur of the previous two films. Even if the second one was kind of going bigger, right, with RoboCop 2, the actual, like, machine being, like, bigger than Ed 209. But the first one took a lot of really big shots. Just wild, crazy stuff. Part 3 has its fair share of some pretty fucking wild and crazy stuff let's get into it I'll, I'll just do like a very brief plot synopsis so that at that point we can just sort of talk all over the map you know we don't we don't have to really go in order i'd like to touch on a lot of this cast oh my god absolutely we got to talk about the writer and director but basically the plot going on here is that uh ocp has been bought by the japanese and there's a corporate takeover and they want to clear out cadillacville which is sort of like the slums of detroit and they want to clear them out and build delta city on top of it so sort of like this like urban gentrification kind of renewal sort of thing by force so what they're doing is uh there's like these rent-a-cops called the rehab cops and they're escorting everybody out of their neighborhoods there's a very funny scene that reminded me of bosom buddies in the beginning with a wrecking ball where it just comes crashing through this family's window out of nowhere these refugees and these cops these rent-a-cops are like warring they have like a week if they don't clear out these people within a week then like i guess the deal falls through we'll talk about it the japanese headquarters they send out a ninja android called otomo to hunt down robocop and dismantle him if he can robocop is like saved and protect by the refugees and it goes on their side they reprogram him so he like fights against the cops and helps the poor people save their town and there's in their little strip of the city and at the end he puts on a jetpack and he flies into a boardroom <laughs> and kills a bunch of people it's kind of spectacular we also got to talk about the splatter punks which the cops pay to help clean out the city it ends a lot like a police academy it movie does. at least the first wow. one with like a riot you know it was very very strange but yeah there's sort of like a mini riot with the cops fighting the rena cops and robocop fighting everybody and at the end like you know robocop takes out what like two more robot ninjas yes. <laughs> or the little girl makes them fight each other and they presumably live happily ever after oh my god it sounds even crazier when you describe it <laughs> I left so much out. For like an hour and 40 minutes, there are so many plot lines, you know? There's like all that stuff with Steven Root. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Rip Torn stuff, but like the stuff with Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford, yeah. Well, well, well I mean, well, I'm sure we'll talk about, we need to do a deep dive on the casting. But yeah, like there's so much in this movie, and I think that's a good thing and a bad thing. There are so many really interesting ideas happening at once, but there are too many. They really should have focused on two or three instead of 12. 
before we get a little further into what we actually watched, I'll tell you what I was expecting, all right? Because I had seen the trailer years ago, but I did not rewatch it recently or anything like that. And I tried to go in cold. And basically, the only thing I remembered from it is at some point, RoboCop's going to fly around. So building off of the last movie where they built another RoboCop, I was like, well, there's going to be like an army of them. I mean, it's going to look cheap. But there's going to be an army of them. And, and when it started with like these uh, rehab cops, like I was like, oh, these are all going to be now cyborgs. And right away they weren't. And I was like, man, it could have been like this cool, fun sort of canon film vibe to it. But they sort of just miss it by that mark of like not knowing how to go too far. Like we said, like we said earlier, it's meant to be PG-13 and all that kind of thing. I was just feeling it immediately. I definitely see what you're saying, but the first two movies, there was like dark, campy humor, and there was gritty action, and they rode a very fine line in those first two movies, but like riding that line is what made those two movies good, and I think they kind of leaned a little too much into the campiness in this one probably because they couldn't be as gritty as they wanted to be. Talking about the, the rehab, what were they called, security concepts, basically they were dressed like the army in Starship Troopers. It was all very Nazi-esque. And the head of them is this vaguely European, very, very Star Wars. Like, <laughs> you would expect him to be wearing a gray uniform on a Star Destroyer. I was like, this guy's going to take on RoboCop? But then I remember what RoboCop series is kind of fun and famous for is that it's all the old white men running shit, right? It's like that's part of the satire to everything. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. Him and Rip Torn are now the new old white guys running shit. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the things I loved about this movie is the, the mythology they built up around OCP, OCP's relationship with the police and with this rehabilitation squad and with the Japanese. It's great that they have all these details, but it's a little bit much. I know what I would extract or at least rework in like kind of a major way. And I think it's the one thing that was sort of mandated, right? Like that's what it feels. And that is the character of Nico. Okay. Like Nico is like a preteen in this RoboCop movie. And it's kind of not a kiss of death, but like, that's like, you know, when you introduce a child into the mayhem like that, it can only go so far. Like I think of the Friday the 13th series and, and like, even though they take place at a summer camp, it's really not until, you know, very far into the series, like part six or seven or something like that, where it actually camp is in session and children are in danger. And by then it opens with like a James Bond parody. A lot of that was like coming out to me where it was like, oh, because this child is here in the story and in the film, it's only going to go so far. You're bringing up the kid, and I wasn't even thinking about this, but the guy who made this movie, Fred Decker was really the, the brains behind all of it. Fred Decker, no slouch either. Uh, Monster Squad rings a bell. Yeah, the Monster Squad, uh, Night of the Creeps. He did a lot of genre stuff, and this was supposed to be his sort of springboard into the legit world of Hollywood, and it, it it kind of destroyed his career. But he is good friends. He was actually college roommates with Shane Black, the screenwriter who wrote The Monster Squad. He wanted Shane Black to write this movie, but Shane Black was busy doing The Last Boy Scout. Shane Black actually appears briefly in the donut shop scene. <laughs> with the Jeff Garland moment. Yes, yes, yes. But 
you can get a lot of Shane Black influence out of this movie. Like, it takes place at Christmas, but Shane Black always has a precocious kid in his movies. And I feel like this may have been Fred Decker adopting another element of Shane Black. And I think it works. I understand how you could think that it's like shameless pandering to a young audience. But I think having a kid in a movie, especially like a a smart, wisecracking kid. And a hacker at that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, that certainly helps. It grounds the movie. It gives a different perspective to the movie that it wouldn't otherwise. I guess I'm not like 100% opposed to it because as I think back, like part two had the evil little kid, right? That boy who was like a boy businessman who was like a real prick. And that was like a, that was a great kind of idea. It was like, oh, like a child in one of these movies, but he's just as bad as the adults. Maybe they were trying to do sort of a spin on that. And, you know, Frank Miller, got to drop his name at some point during this conversation, very prolific in comics, like not such a great film career, but did co-write part two and three. So maybe it was sort of like a rework of that too, where he wanted to put like a spin on the kid. And it was like, well, in the last one, we had an evil one. Now we want her to be like the cooler, good hacker that can hack into RoboCop and like fix him kind of thing. Like I'm not opposed to the idea. I just don't know like why it's not resonating with me. And, And especially since Fred Decker is not like a hack or anything, as far as I know, I think it's just there's something missing here that I'm not getting. Like it just doesn't connect. I'll have to agree to disagree because I loved the kid. Actually, one of the few like legitimately poignant moments in the film was the fact that she forged this bond with Dr. Lazarus, the female scientist, and like she became a mother figure to her after her parents were killed by OCP goons. I thought it was great. I guess that's sort of where I'm going to be going, where I feel like there's ideas and elements that are here, and maybe, like you say, there's too many, um, and I'm just trying to see, like, if you could just kind of focus on one of those, uh, it would probably be a lot better. If the girl was here, but something else wasn't, maybe it would work better for me. You know what I think is the problem with this movie a lot, for me, is RoboCop himself, right? And, And not just that Peter Weller isn't back, and not just that he sits in a chair for half the movie. But, like, it's the same old thing. Like, he's still not over his past and stuff. Like, we're at movie three. Like, I need there to be a different motivation. I love when his partner's murdered because that is great motivation for him, right? Which was shocking. That was a very, that was the best moment, very shocking moment. You know, it was a very shocking moment. Like, it was great when you saw her reveal when she pulled the newspaper down and it was Lewis and you were like oh she's back she was always so great and then she gets gunned down the scene following it was like eye-rolling for me when she dies and Robocop goes officer down and he he lowers lowers his head in respect like oh god But yeah, I agree with you. Like, there was something that Peter Weller brought to it. And and I remember thinking, I saw a QA and a with Peter Weller before a screening of RoboCop once. And he was talking about, like, how he thought it was going to be so easy, but it was actually one of the most challenging 
roles of his career, playing Robocop, getting the motions down, and finding that perfect balance between humanity and robot. Uh, as silly as that sounds coming out of my mouth, but you don't really find that with the guy who's playing him in the third one. And where do you really take it? Which is why I feel he can only grow so much to the point, basically, where, like, in this movie, he's literally just, like, an action figure for half of it, where he's, like, taking off his hand and putting on, like, a flamethrower or a rocket launcher or something, like, waiting for him to put a chainsaw on. Oh, my God. I didn't even think of that, but he's literally an action figure in this movie, and he really doesn't play the emotional lead role that he does in the first two. And Fred Decker actually said it himself. He said, after the first movie, where do you go with Robocop? He went through the whole thing about his angst with his his previous life. Where do you go from there? He runs for office. <laughs> President Robocop. Or at least the mayor. Clean the city up from the inside. Or you do what they kind of did with the remake, right? Which is like he retains his humanity completely. Where where in that, Joel Kinnaman or uh, Sergeant Flagg from Suicide Squad plays him. And, and he's literally going through the movie like, man, I can't believe like I'm a Robocop now. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know if you ever <laughs> saw that one. But like, yeah, he's walking through the movie and he's like, wow, I still got like a human hand. And I... And I I know my wife and like all this stuff and my kid knows I'm alive and like it's that's where you go which is sort of back to the beginning in a a manner of speaking you know what was the point if like he's the same guy he was before he was Robocop you just need to drop him into some badass kick-ass action and that's I guess what I was hoping for an hour and a half of fighting cyborg ninjas is that too much to ask yeah the cyborg ninjas were great and uh, Fred Decker again said that he wished he could have done more with that he wanted the movie to have the feel of a Hong Kong action film is what he said but he didn't have the budget for it it's tough right because like there's so many scenes in the church of people talking about what are we gonna do what do we gotta do and then there's like a raid and they have to rescue someone and then they do that and then there's like they get separated and they have to rescue each other like it just feels very repetitive as we're watching it and I just wish that there were more scenes of even the cyborg going to get that map at the gas station right like I just want to see this guy this fish out of water cast away from Johnny Mnemonic let's see him meet up with another one of him and have someone on the street being like huh am I drinking too much there's two of them you know like I need these moments I need a little more away from the main story which I guess is what they tried to do with like the Bradley Whitford stuff but again that that is so pointless too. He just ends up blowing his brains out. <laughs> yeah, through the, what that, is that I, about? That was crazy. I, I mean, I feel like maybe Bradley Whitford had like another job that he had to like not be there for the second half of filming. Speaking of Bradley Whitford, uh, let's talk about this cast, man. It's so interesting. They bring a lot of favorites back from the original two. You've got the sergeant of the police station. You've got Johnson from the boarded directors you know you've got lewis of course you've got casey wong the host of media break so a lot of old favorites to bring you into it but what an interesting lineup of character actors that were brought in for this movie let's go back and forth that's what they did they went back and forth between channel four channel two and channel seven and they just collected like a little crew of like these character actors it's amazing so I'm, I'll start off with CCH Pounder. Yes, as Bertha. 
I think she was on one of the Law and Orders. She was in Sons of Anarchy. She was also in Psycho 4, which we watched recently. But, you know, she's one of these people who every time she pops up, you're like, she's going to do something awesome. And she's the leader of the underground resistance against Delta City. And she was great. She's in some cool stuff. She was in End of Days with Schwarzenegger, the the evil Gabriel Byrne religious movie, I believe, from 1999. He also did Stigmata, where he was the good priest, which was also a religious horror movie from around 1999 or so. (laughs) Demon Knight, the Tales from the Crypt. I love Demon Knight. That's such a great movie with Billy Zane and um, Jada Pinkett. Face Off. She's in the Face Off. So your turn. Well, you know, Stephen Root. Like, what are you doing here? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Steven Root. Great. Jimmy James, to me, always and forever. But, like, yeah, countless stuff. News radio for life. You know, he's really good as the resistance member turned Weasley turncoat. Yeah, didn't see that coming. There was nothing leading up to that reveal of that character. Yeah, and really that was also kind of a ripoff of the fat cop from RoboCop 2. I'm going to say Rip Torn. What a what what a pleasant always a pleasant surprise to see Rip Torn, but very good. I think Rip Torn his performance as the CEO of OCP really kind of sums up what makes RoboCop 3 different from the first two. In the first two, the CEO, the old man played by the villain from Halloween 3. He's funny, he's darkly comedic but he's also genuinely menacing like you don't fuck with this guy rip torn in this movie is like a bumbling asshole not threatening not intimidating but he's rip torn he's doing his rip torniest i had almost wished that the japanese had already arrived in detroit and were already there so that the new villain this guy could be one of the japanese like businessmen or something and then but i do yeah. like what rip torn is but he looks good he's here to have fun like i think he's he's striking <laughs> the proper tone for a robocop movie for me the only thing missing is like him falling out a window at some point <laughs> in the movie you know he survives this movie the, or he gets fired at the end and not on fire which is like what he deserves but like for a robocop movie yeah i guess the japanese businessmen added the kind of gravitas that the old man from the first two movies brought but yeah who else who who was someone you were pleasantly surprised to see I don't know if pleasantly surprised to see, but definitely surprised to see is this. This is a deep one, but Daniel Von Bargen, who I know as George's boss on Seinfeld. (laughs) Yes. See, for me, he'll always be the chief of the super troopers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's in stuff, you know, like Basic Instinct. Oh, he's in so much stuff, yeah. That's the idea, right? Why is he in RoboCop 3? I don't know, but he's in RoboCop 3. And, like, that's the part, that's, like, the another thing about, okay, so, like, it felt like a reversal with the Resistance adults to say that, like, these are people who are, like, middle-aged or above, but normal, everyday people, like, fighting the Resistance. It was weird, you know, because, like I was saying earlier, RoboCop is sort of known for, like, the bad guys to be kind of like the adults or like the old white men and here not you know not that they're all white or anything but most of them are and they're old and it's just like so odd to see grandparents fighting the resistance is like how it came across did you get any of that vibe (laughs) oh yeah absolutely i mean like i think it really lays the message on thick more than it did in the other two 
and that is that this community of kids, old people, parents are all fighting for their neighborhood more than even the other two. It, it really puts that message out there front and center. And, and, and you know, it, it culminates in this giant battle at the end with Robocop dive bombing everyone with this jetpack. Let me just say one more. Oh, yeah. All right. So three very obscure characters. Jeff Garland, who's, of course, Curb Your Enthusiasm, the Goldbergs, I'm assuming pretty early in his career as a donut shop cashier. Credited as Donut Jerk. Donut Jerk. And in a car chase early on, the cops end up wrecking the car of a guy like a douchebag yuppie. Yeah, who was that guy? Played by a guy named James Lorenz. And he was in the cult movies Street Trash and Frankenhooker. Whoa, all right. Also the Jerky Boys movie. He's a very, very cult niche actor, and Fred Decker hired him because he was a fan of all of these cult movies. And then, of course, there's Bradley Whitford from The West Wing. I will always think of him as Eric from Billy Madison. He's also the head jock in Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. But he's really channeling all of the douchey energy. He's great at that, yeah. So really strange, I don't think this is true, but at the end, there's a commercial for like an action figure, right? And I could have sworn I heard Martin Sheen narrating it. I wrote the same thing in my notes, and I watched the credits waiting for Martin Sheen's name to come up. I went online, I googled Robocop 3 Martin Sheen, nothing. It's got to be him. It's got to be him. Isn't that amazing? What's the connection, though? Like, where, like, who called him up and asked for the favor? The only thing I found was that the animated commercial for Johnny Rehab <laughs> was done by an animator who later went on to work for The Simpsons. So I don't know if there's a connection there. Or if it's even him. It's got to be him. It's it sounds exactly like him. Like, it is shocking. Like, if it's not him, then it's Rich Little. And and it's just so insane to think that, like, Martin Sheen did, like, a 10-second voiceover for RoboCop 3 of all movies. Like, like that's why I'm wondering, like, did he do a voice for the cartoon? Did he, you know what I mean? Like, was it a holdover oh, for yeah, something? maybe. But, okay, so la like, I had, there's actually one more face that I recognized in the whole movie, and I thought you were going to bring him up because you got so close. You were right there. It was standing right in front of Jeff Garland, but the holdup guy is this guy Lee Ehrenberg. He's in, you know, he's very probably most known for Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He's one of like the two Rosencrantz and Guildenstern pirates. You know how there's like the sort of short one and the tall one. The other one's the guy from the British Office. There's that like, but he was also in a bunch of Seinfeld episodes. So I wonder if there were stories exchanged on the set about Jerry. Some kind of Seinfeld connection. <laughs> There's so many fascinating things about this movie. The cast is amazing. There's so many really good ideas in it. And and from what I understand, the only reason Frank Miller's in, in the writing credits is because Fred Decker took a lot of the elements from this movie out of his unpublished script for RoboCop 2, or like the parts of RoboCop 2 that didn't get into the movie. And it was all Fred Decker, and he said... I wish 
I could have sat down with Frank Miller and like kind of worked through this stuff more. But really, he wishes he did it with Shane Black. Yeah, that would have, that would have been awesome. And then Shane Black would have been responsible for you know being involved in Predator and RoboCop, which I think they fought in comics. Like that's the thing about Frank Miller's involvement is that he's written really cool RoboCop comics, and you know RoboCop fights the Terminator, he fights the aliens. Like he's got a good sort of run in print if you're more interested in like some some kind of cooler aspects of robocop and frank miller a lot of the comics you know he gets into these very satirical dark verhoeven-esque anti-establishment kind of stuff last time i was reading dark knight returns i was like this feels like paul verhoeven it's got all of like the television stuff it's got so much media yeah it's crazy now in retrospect, like, you know, reading it so much later in life. It's good to know that he didn't really have his fingers sort of in this pie as deep as I expected because I just expect more, I guess, you know. The most recent Predator movie, which I think most people agree was a lost opportunity, wasn't that Fred Decker and Shane Black? I think Fred Decker was involved as well, and it was a super letdown. And and Frank Miller, remember The Saint? The Spirit, which has been on a lot lately, right? I think that's what you're referring to with Sam Jackson. Yeah, and it was almost like it was a parody of Sin City. Like, he saw Sin City and he was like, oh, my comics can be made into such cool movies. Let me make one of my own. The irony is that Sin City is a Frank Miller property. That is Frank Miller. Like yeah. So, like, the spirit feels like he's kind of making a parody of himself, which I know he's not trying to do with that, but I don't... I'm not sure what he accomplished in the end, but ever since before RoboCop, he just never really was able to get a foothold in Hollywood. I think they always yeah, they always just yeah. wanted the Dark Knight Returns out of him, and he's more than that. And then Nolan came along and did it, and uh, the rest was history. Pretty much. Frank Miller missed the boat. A couple things I wish that happened in this movie maybe earlier, like I wish he flew sooner. As bad as those effects come across these days watching it, on a DVD, on like a Blu-ray player, like they do not hold up very well. I love the concept. I got to say, like there's another thing where it's like RoboCop flying makes sense as like sort of an evolution of his tech. Like there was a moment where he, it's kind of silly, like how he kind of bursts out the top of his car at one point in the movie. Oh, that is so silly. But like, how cool would it be if he had tank treads? Like if he had like an arsenal where he was like a mix and matching RoboCop kind of guy, like, you know, I mentioned kind of like a toy maybe, but like embrace that, right? Like once you introduce that, you can't just have him take his hand off. You have to also at one point have him like take his legs off and like Optimus <laughs> yeah. prime him up a yeah. little bit. Again, I wish it was sort of half the movie was just that samurai stalking through the city or like I wanted to see him on the airplane trying to like to open a bag of peanuts. I just wanted to see like his oh, entire yeah. journey to get to RoboCop and then get his ass kicked so thoroughly and quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Any other sort of moments or things that that you want to mention that stuck out? I mean, there's a lot of of things that we're not covering really, but my general thoughts are that they tried to make it more of a cartoon. I don't know how much of that was Fred Decker or how much was the studio, but it was much more cartoonish than the first two, which were already pretty cartoonish to begin with. But like I said, they were able to ride that line. Yeah. The cast is bizarre and awesome. Obviously, there were budgetary things. I kept thinking about Superman 4. 
Okay, kind of like a studio in decline, right? Like maybe one of the last big properties they had. The last movie that Orion Pictures made before it went bankrupt. In fact, that was the reason why it was made in 91 and not released until 93 and 94, because Orion went bankrupt. When you see that Orion intro at the beginning, it's like, oh yeah, we're in for a good time. But it was their last one. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, that, that I get that feel of sort of Masters of the Universe, right? Where it's like, we kind of bit off more than we could chew. We don't have the budget, yeah. but like, it's our, our last sort of big swing for the fence or something to kind of keep the studio afloat. Yeah. And that that final flying scene could have looked so much better if they had a little bit of extra money, even back then. Lars said, you, you do it at night. You do it at night so you could hide the mat. And you just hide everything you need to in shadows. And then you could even use a little toy of RoboCop with lights on them. That's all I was thinking. I was like, why is this happening during the day? This is so crazy. <laughs> there are some interesting stuff in, in the trivia about how they tried doing it many different ways. They tried doing it with miniatures and they wanted to do it in a much more realistic looking way, but they just didn't have the money for it. But yeah. Yeah, and the other thing about it is that there's just too much going on, and because of that, they don't devote enough to any one thing. I wanted more cybernetic ninjas, but there are a lot of ideas, and they're all good ideas, but it could have been a little simpler. Like, that's why I like it at the end of the day, is that it, it's, it's bad filmmaking, but it's not like a bad story per se right like there's cool and interesting ideas but the execution necessarily isn't right on point you know so it's more like you say like of a budget thing where it's just like they don't have the capability to pull these things off and their eyes are a little bigger than their stomach but i like what they're going for ultimately it's a failure unfortunately because there's not enough of what makes it work kind of holding it together but like it was still fun enough like i'm not i'm not gonna hold it up to the last two movies okay those that's just a different level i don't feel like it's trying to be that anymore we have those for what they are and like this can be this you know what they might have blown a lot of their budget on though larson is that one incredible moment that was like lawnmower man where they're going into murphy's mind and it's like a tunnel oh, like the multiverse yeah. he's, he's <laughs> like he's traveling through his thoughts on the internet or something Oh, yeah. Well, I, I definitely made a note about that at the early 90s CGI. Cybernetic, you know, like flying through the internet. I think that was the thing that was around a lot in the early 90s. And also, there's like a scene where all the women in his life, their faces morph together. And I feel like that was another huge thing back in the day was like morphing faces. So when I started this show, like, I, I was going to ask everybody, like, where would you take the franchise? What would you do with it? And I kind of stopped doing that pretty early on. But where would you take this franchise if they gave you the keys? I have an idea. I think the only place you could go is, like, he becomes, like, he becomes Ultron. You know, like, he goes into the Internet. He becomes, like, Cyborg from the New Justice League. Right. Is that the problem? Is it that there are these evolutions of the character in other forms of media now that like not that he's obsolete, but that he's sort of more of like 
maybe a, just a product of his time or like saying because I feel like what RoboCop has to say like that first movie is still very prescient right it's very much like can still be applied to things going on today like it's almost any it's eternal in its arguments in a lot of ways so like what do you change or how do you sort of you know take RoboCop like what direction do you bring him do you have any thoughts on like where you would take RoboCop it's an interesting thing to think about because I'm thinking about what Fred Decker said and that everything interesting to be done with RoboCop has already been done. You have his conflict uh, about being a robot versus being a human. You have his conflicts between doing the right thing and serving OCP. You know, and by the third movie, he's just kind of thrown all that out the window and he doesn't serve anybody anymore except the people. So I guess as far as the character goes, I would think the next movie would be him just being a full-blown defender of the people and going that next step. Like, OCP is out of business now. So what's one step above OCP? What is the American government like right now? Uh, it must be even more dystopian than whatever OCP's got going on. So, I mean, we, we joked about it at the beginning, but President Robocop, like, I would love to see Robocop taking on whatever this dystopian government was of the future, now that OCP is no longer a, a thing. I like that. That's interesting. I, I think I also, as you were talking, I had, I had an image of, like, Robocop, but like as the Hulk television series where he goes like city to city taking down different branches of OCP until he gets to Washington oh. or something like that. <laughs> and then I'm thinking like maybe all I want is for RoboCop to be like for the next movie to be like RoboCop versus Aliens versus Predators. Like maybe that's just what I want or like Freddy versus Jason versus RoboCop. Like let's just do that sure. with the guy. Like let's who has the property, who has the IP, get everybody in one place, you know, New Line Cinema. I think they're back. Jason Blum, he's got money. Sure. Honestly, I think we should call up Jason Blum and pitch all of these ideas to him because certainly one of them is profitable. He says he's he's a horror guy exclusively with a few things, you know, he's done a few other things, but like I think that there's a lot of horror to be mined in uh more Robocop. So Yeah. Robocop versus Jason versus Freddy versus whoever. Fucking Godzilla. Or a Hulu series where Robocop travels <laughs> a dystopian future, going from town to town, shutting down OCP in whatever small town he comes across. <laughs> I think that's the show where it's like he walks in like the stranger with a poncho on and then like some kid like tugs at it. <laughs> And it's like he sees his like shiny visor beneath and runs away and stuff. And like you treat you treat it sort of like the Mandalorian, right? But with RoboCop. <laughs> yeah, sure. And you could have like an OCP running like a like a company town, you know, like in the old west. Yeah, now I can't imagine what the rest of America looks like in the RoboCop universe. That's where I need to go next. Like, yeah, take RoboCop out of Detroit. I think I've settled on that. Yeah, that's what I was saying, is that, like, the next step is really looking at this world with a larger lens and seeing what kind of world are we living in when something like OCP building Delta City can happen, you know? What is the president like, you know? Yeah, if he's just a head in a jar or, like, a brain... <laughs> well, I think we're I think we're getting a little off the rails. <laughs> then maybe it's, this might be a good 
point to to call it a night punch that time clock hang up our gun or put it back into the side hip compartment of our leg (laughs) yeah down to the donut shop but larson man thank you very much for joining me again tonight to talk about robocop to talk about another part three in our police series saga you know if if you make it through the next one which is lethal weapon then maybe we could do a bit of like a vigilante series there's been at least three punisher movies there's been at least three death wish movies maybe we could come up with another part three vigilante film and have another sort of uh partner trilogy there oh man well well death wish three is absolutely incredible so uh, whatever i need to do to get back on here to talk about that i'm i'm down might just take a blonde joe pesci if you've never (laughs) seen lethal weapon 3 i will roll with that punch to get to death wish uh, before we take off, is there anything you'd like to plug, anything you'd like to mention? Well, I write for a local newspaper up here in Westchester County. Uh, you can read it at riverjournalonline.com. I host a podcast for that newspaper where I talk to interesting people from the area. It's pretty cool. Uh, check it out if you like. Excellent. Thanks for coming on tonight. I look forward to chatting again. And until then, Larson, I'll buy that for a dollar. That'll do it for another episode of Third Time's a Charm. Gotta thank Larson for stopping by once more to take down the evil corporations and take back the streets. Looking forward to finishing our police retrospective with Lethal Weapon one day soon. For more Larson, check out his podcasts and reporting from the lovely Hudson Valley in New York. Also check out the legendary Monkey Club in the Cage Club archives. For all things Cage Club and all the other shows I'm on, such as Viva Pod Vegas with Joey Lewandowski or The Monsters That Made Us with Dan Cologne, please visit cageclub.me, facebook.com, slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. You can find this show anywhere you get podcasts, but be sure to visit iTunes to like and leave a review. And thanks for supporting the show. And until next time... That's a magic number. Yes, Three. it is. It's the magic number. Three. Three. They stubbing me, and that's a magic number. What does it all mean?